Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Cole Busan, who is a fifth-year seminarian studying at St. John's, but is here serving the Diocese of Orange. So welcome, Cole, to our program. Thank you. I appreciate it, Rick. And Cole, if you would be so kind as to open us with a brief word of prayer, that would be fantastic. Of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. God, we thank you for the gift of this day, and for this opportunity to have you at the center of our conversation. We pray for our world right now, especially all of our listeners, that whatever they're going through, you remind them that you're with them. And we especially ask Holy Spirit that you guide our conversation and talk about what you want us to talk about, and ultimately glorify your name and the name of our Blessed Mother. Mary, we ask you to pray for us as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary Mother, Mother of God, pray for, for our sinners, sinners now. now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Cole is a fifth-year seminarian, and Cole, I, again, I want to thank you for coming in and stopping by to talk with us a little bit. The reason why I wanted you to come on was because I wanted to hear a little bit about what causes a seminarian to want to leave a life, and I'll say it because I'm an old man, a young life, and dedicate themselves for the rest of their lives to the priesthood. I'm an old man. You look like you're about 16. You're, you're not, <laughs> but you're, you're, you're young. You mind me asking how, how old are you? I'm 26 years old. 26 years old. Okay. So you made a decision. If you're a fifth year student, you made a decision about 21. And I assume you'd been thinking about it before that to enter seminary life. How does one do that? Tell us a little bit. What was your journey? What was your call? Very good question. So honestly, it took me by surprise. What had happened was during my high school years, I was very, uh, you know, I didn't believe in God. I was, I would say, just going through the motions in terms of confirmation. Did you grow up around here? I did grow up around here. What, what high school did you go to? If I, I went to Brea Olinda High School. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you were at Brea High School as kind of a semi-secularist. Were you, were you baptized Catholic? Yeah, I was um, like a cradle Catholic, as we call it. All right. But in terms of me personally taking my faith seriously and diving in headfirst to formation in regards to the faith, I did not take that seriously. Okay. So kind of inoculated as you were growing up a little bit. I'd say so. Okay. <laughs> did you go through your regular sacraments on time? I did. Did you go through a Catholic school? I did not go to a Catholic school, but I just went through, we called it like CCD. Yeah, what, what we, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, faith formation, but they, they yeah. used to call it CCD. It will forever probably be known as CCD. Uh, uh, they're going to change RCIA and they'll get, call it something else. It'll forever be known as RCIA. It's uh -huh. <laughs> just the way it works in our church. Um, but you ended up then being basically a regular, I hate to say it, but almost a secularized Catholic then, one who you, you, had some feelings a little bit about God, but didn't take them seriously? Or how did that work? If you were to look at how you understood, say, when you were ninth, 10th, 11th grade, how did you see the spiritual realm, God? Was it any idea at all, or was it totally outside of what you were thinking? Mm -hmm. So I was with my, you know, my grandma was very uh, religious, and my mom, she would always take us to Mass every Sunday and that kind of thing. But I viewed my faith, or the faith, as like something that my mom was telling me to do. I just go here because I have to, and I don't really believe what they're saying or they're teaching. Okay. So you, you were a, a pray and obey type Catholic. You were told, pray and obey. <laughs> you were told <laughs> like you, was... you will come to, to mass and, 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 uh, you will be forced to be free. That was me. Okay. Yeah. And, um, interesting that didn't work so well up until when, up what until... began to change? Up until I was 15. How were you as a student then? How were you as a 
were you into trouble? Did you do anything good? Were you an Eagle Scout? What, what was your life like? <laughs> Hopefully I didn't get into too much trouble. I went to a private school called Arbland Montessori in Fullerton. Okay. It's a school that focuses very much on academics and how to learn. The average class size was around like eight eight students. Yeah. And I went through that from... It's a very experiential program for Montessori. Is. I'd say so, yeah. yeah. And uh, I went there from pre-K all the way through sixth grade. Wow. And, you know, I, I think I did well in my classes. I didn't fail any of them. And afterwards, I went to Braille Junior High, which is, of course, a public school, and then Braille in the high school. Were you involved with anything? Did you? What did you do in high school? Everyone does something in high school. What did you do in high school? Did you just hang out? Did you play in the band? Did you? What did you do? So in high school, my freshman year, I did uh, the sports of golf and wrestling. Oh wow! And um, in terms of yeah, in terms of just that, I just hung out with friends. Uh, I liked to skateboard back then, and um, I don't know, just hang out, just do random. And uh, normal kid stuff, I'd say. Okay. So yeah. you weren't an especially bad kid either. You just were. You just kind of were there, uh, part of the group. Yeah, I would say so. And to be honest a little bit, I did, at the time, you know, I thought I was 14. I thought it was cool. I did experiment with drugs. Okay. Yeah. How serious did that become for you? It was Eric's experimental. I did so, not develop an addiction or that kind okay. of thing. Yeah. So kids were doing it. You were told not to, yeah. but now it's there. Let's see what this does. Yeah. Okay. They're like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And it's not. <laughs> All right. So what happens then when you were 15? You said that things began to change for you. Mm -hmm. What changed? When I was 15, the first day, I was hit with a major depression. That really began a, um, I would say, maybe a chemical imbalance where I started struggling with depression, anxiety, and um, that kind of mental toll took on me. What did you do about it or what was done for you? Mm -hmm. So it was the first time that that ever happened in my life. So, you know, I tried to live without medication or I didn't even tell my parents, but it got to a point where I had to tell my mom, hey, I think something's wrong with me because I'm feeling way more sad than I think I should. Were there times when you, you thought depression can lead to suicidal ideation yeah. and all sorts of things like that? That affect you too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is that when you reached out and got some help from mom? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. What happened? So it got to the point where I was having like suicidal ideation and um, I wasn't eating and I was staying at home and I didn't talk to my friends anymore. And it got to a point where it was very, I felt very dark and empty yeah. and just sad inside. And I told my mom and she said, we have to go see, we have to get professional help. So we got professional help and I felt a little bit better. But at the same time, I was—I still knew something was off. Let me ask about the help you got. Mm -hmm. Did it involve medication too, or was it mostly just counseling type things? It involved both. Okay. Yeah. A lot of uh, programs start off with a little bit of mm -hmm. medication to get you started. Yeah. But also some therapy that you, you were on regular therapy too then. Yes. Yes. Then what happened? So it got so bad to a point where, like I told you, I felt better for a little bit and then just keep on getting worse. Yeah. And up to my point in confirmation, I was in confirmation too. I was just, uh, I was at retreat and I came back home from retreat and it just got so bad to a point where I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. And I think a lot of people, especially in our day and age, you know, can relate to feeling depressed or feeling like their life is over or seeing that there's no solution. We have a lot of young people that have gone that path. Yeah. And especially in the last couple of years with COVID and isolation, yeah, with uh, a lot of hopes and dreams dashed because of COVID, mm -hmm. a lot of plans that had to do with their own schooling, mm -hmm. it has led to an increase yeah. in uh, mental health issues. Yeah. So what happened for you? Yeah. So it got to a point where I said, I got to do something that I've never done before. And my grandmother, who had always... You know, really like <laughs> she would always every morning bug me to pray and just really try to instill the Lord in me. And she visited me in a dream and she had already passed away of cancer. Okay. And I remember it was, uh, she came in a very beautiful black horse drawn carriage. Wow. And, uh, the horses were very mean and I opened the door. I gave red. you the full vision treatment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I opened the door and it's just beautiful red interior and there she is. Okay. And she only said one thing to me. 
she said, remember what I'm telling you. And then I woke up and I was like, that was Gra- weird. Grandma, <laughs> what are you telling me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I really, I really thought about uh, like on her deathbed, she told me, remember what I'm telling you. And when I woke up, I said, okay, Nanai, she taught me how to pray. So I went in my closet. I found, uh, it's, it's like a Protestant handbook. It's called Our Daily Bread. Okay. It comes out every month, one for each day. And I opened it and I started reading and I said a prayer. I said, God, I don't know if you're real, but I'm going to give you a chance. I don't know what to do anymore. And if you tell me and you prove to me that you're real, I will give my life to you. Wow. And after that, be careful what you wish for. I know. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> so what, okay, um, we don't have much time in the segment to really finish that up, but yeah. in a nutshell, then what happened after that, that, that really made it seem so different for you? Mm-hmm. What changed? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, the floodgates opened, I would say. God would, you know, he would speak to me through, you know, when we, when we don't know God and then he reveals himself to us for the first time, every little thing, like the whole world is like a new world in many small and undeniable ways. I would say he revealed himself to me. All sorts of things that come with it. Sometimes even signal graces come with that too. Yeah. So you had this exhilarating then experience of encountering God in, in multiple avenues of life after you made the deal with God that if you can show me you're real, I'll serve you. Yeah. I'll give my life to you. So what happened after that? You're, you're 15, 16, mm-hmm. you're what, a, a junior in high school. Yeah. It was like transition from sophomore to junior year. Okay. So this is summertime. Yeah. I would okay. say. And then what happened? So it came to the night where it was, uh, towards like right near my confirmation. And I remember like just looking up at the moon, it was a full moon. I was in the playground at St. Angela Ricci in Brea. I said, okay, God, you're real. And I'm sorry for all the, the doubts that I had when I was younger. I'm sorry for not wanting to take my faith seriously. And I apologize for that. And I give you my life. Wow. And after that, you know, started helping out with confirmation. I was a teacher's aide. I joined the youth band. I started going on retreats and started teaching after that year. So wow. that would so be... You threw you know, yourself into local parish ministry with the youth. Yes. Thanks be to God. Wow. Okay. When we come back, I want to ask you, because that kind of takes us up through high school, uh, what happened in college that kind of drove you to decide that, okay, I'm not just going to do uh, lay ministry. I want to be a priest. We're talking with Cole Busan, who is a fifth-year seminarian. He is currently studying at St. John, St. John Seminary, and he is a seminarian for the Diocese of Orange. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how he became a, an actual incarnated seminarian and um, what that has meant for him in his life. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, on the campus of Christ Cathedral, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Cole Busan, and Cole is sharing his story about how he became a seminarian. And when we last left Cole on his story, he was in high school. He had been uh, thoroughly depressed and made a deal with God that if God could show him that he was real, he would give his life to God. And you have to be careful about what deals you make with God because he will take you up on them. And he did in Cole's case. And so Cole threw himself into ministry at the lay level, at the parish level, and in high school was able to serve a number of lay people. So I think that's kind of where we left off. Where did you go to college? I went to college at West Coast University in Anaheim. All right, West Coast University. What did you study at West Coast University? I studied dental hygiene. Dental hygiene, teeth. Very good. And 
were you going to be a, a dental hygienist for God, or how was this? <laughs> did you have plans at that point, or were you still thinking, I'm going to be a, a secular minister? I'm going to not necessarily be a priest, but I'm going to serve you, God. Yeah. What, what were you thinking at that point? So I would say that dentistry was kind of ingrained into my DNA. My grandfather, after ending the war in the Philippines, he became a dentist. Okay. And my mom, my grandfather told my mom that you couldn't do dentistry because you're a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My current dentist is, is young. She's, she's a very good dentist. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my mom's like, I'm going to do dentistry. So my okay. mom did dentistry. Wow. And very good. at this point, uh, West Coast University has a good program. And she says, there's a great dental hygiene program there. Okay. So I said, why not? Okay. So you enter the dental hygiene program, but you're not doing dental hygiene right now. I am not doing dental hygiene right so, now. So what happened along the way? So I had graduated. The way they have the program set up there at West Coast is uh, you get your bachelor's in under three years. Oh, good. And that was one of the main reasons I went there, because it wasn't a five-year college program. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so they basically take you throughout the whole year. The whole year. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I was able to graduate at 20, and I was able to start working at 21. Wow. And um, yeah, I just had started working. I had I was at a couple offices okay. um, doing different days of the week. Okay. And at that time, too, West Coast was offering a... Um, a master's program in healthcare administration. Oh, wow. So I figured I wanted to teach hygiene or do something with uh, on the administration level other than hygiene. Okay. So I went ahead and got my master's in healthcare administration. Wow. And um, in contrast or in relation to that working and then also with the faith, there was really no no plan in terms of, it was just two things I did. Uh, in my life. Okay, so you had kind of two horses you were riding at this point. One's the dental hygiene horse, uh-huh. and the other one was that you were doing ministry in your parish. Yes. What about the plannings of a young man? Because if you're wanting to be a dental hygienist, then were you thinking about getting married, having children? Uh, what was the thought? Yeah. What was the plan? Good question. So this was my plan. I was going to make money. I was going to buy my own place buy a nice car, get a girlfriend, and then marry her. You wanted to just kind of do it one step at a time. One step at a Very time. Very logically thought out. Okay, yeah. you do not have a girlfriend now, at least I, I do not have a girlfriend. You, you, if you have a car, it probably is not a great one. It, uh, no, it okay. does its job. Yeah. It does its job, though. Yeah. So something changed along the way in that Yes. Plan. How long were you doing the dental hygiene before mm-hmm. you began to look at becoming a seminarian? So I was uh, in dental hygiene. I was working for around a year and a half. And I would say maybe a year in, I was on a retreat. And on retreats, I like to give talks. And I remember giving this uh, this poem that I wrote for uh, young high school girls, basically telling them that they don't need a boy to make them happy, that what they need is God. And Father Locke Trent, he's a priest in this diocese, mm-hmm. we were eating dinner after you know the day was coming down. And uh, I don't know how we got on this topic, but he said, he looked at me very intently, and he said, you would make a good priest. Good for him. <laughs> I'm glad he did that. It is, it is so important to, to really ask young men who may be thinking about it to think about it. It really is a very simple thing, but how many times had you been told that before? Zero. That's my point, is that <laughs> a lot of people will think about it, but they won't necessarily do it because they don't want to intrude on somebody. Yeah. But there are so many people that are out there that would probably, for the first time, take it seriously if someone yeah. actually brought it up. I'm glad Father Tran did that for you. Thanks be to God. Was your reaction to recoil in horror? Was it to <laughs> embrace entirely? What happened? So at that point, I was uh, I was already working for a little while, and... I really could have related, or I really do relate to the young rich man in the sense that I had um, everything that I thought that I needed when I was a little boy mm-hmm. make me happy. You know, yeah. solid job, car, um, going to buy my house, bachelor. And to be honest in my prayer, I was, I was not happy. I told, I asked, I remember going to adoration and asking God, is this it? Is there all to life? 
there's still one thing that you lack. Yeah. Sell all that you have. <laughs> Get to the poor, then come follow me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got it, you got it. Um, <laughs> How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, But with God, is. all things are possible. <laughs> and, yeah. and here you are. So what happened? You were had a some sort of a faith crisis that began. You were not happy. You yeah. were doing everything you were supposed to do, but you're not happy. Yes. So when he said that, it was like a light bulb went off. And I say that because... In a way, it just kind of clicked. I said, I love being at church. I love being with the people of God. And a priest, that's his MO. That's what he does for his entire life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. So I decided to apply. At the time, our vocation director was Father John Moneypenny. Father John Moneypenny. Father John. On many times. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Good guy. Good guy. And uh, he got the application rolling right away. And I made sure I just wanted to get it done. So I just finished it and um, I got accepted around. He gave me the call in May of 2017. So let me ask you this. When when you apply to become a priest, mm. what does that entail? What do you have to do when you apply? It's not just a, a job application. So yeah. what do you do? It's kind of like joining the military. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've been joined the military before. But you have to give every detail about your life. So, I don't know, baptism certificate, confirmation. You have to go through a psych eval to make sure if you're crazy enough to join the seminary. Okay. Uh, (laughs) No, that's that's actually very well put. Have you lived enough with enough bumps to know what you're actually wanting to do? Mm -hmm. And that's a good point that you bring that up because... Before we used to have like, you know, elementary seminary, high school seminary, college, we still have college seminary. I think the, what has happened in terms of, you know, just us and our culture the way it is, I do think that it does take a little bit longer. It would be good to have a view of what you're leaving before you leave it and enter seminary. So it's cool that you bring that up. You mentioned that you wanted to have a girlfriend. Did you have a girlfriend at one point? I did. I did. Was it very serious? Is she still crying? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was not that serious. Okay. We were, we had just gone out six months, so it was not, um, nothing on terms of discerning marriage or anything. Okay. So, but you were enjoying each other's company and so you've had that experience though, Mm -hmm. where the thoughts and the hopes and the dreams of what it might be to be a family man, you got to explore and think about. Mm -hmm. That's a very good thing for a young man to be able to do, especially one who, like I said, look 16, but it's actually 26, you said? Yes, 26. Okay. So take all this information. Then what? Do you stay at your home for a while? Do you move into their home, their house for a while? Mm-hmm. How does seminary work in the early stages? So it's it's pretty much just like jumping into a college. So you get accepted, and then, it's, of course, you know it's a master's program in divinity. Mm-hmm. So St. John Seminary is in Camarillo, California, Ventura County. Right. So you get sent to seminary. We you go up there. there. Yeah. So there, uh, there are people up there that are affiliated with the Diocese of Orange, either by contract or by design, in order to help keep you both in school, but also in formation. Is that right? Yeah. Formation and school happen at the same place, which okay. is the seminary. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got not only your classes, but you've also got talks and meetings and conversations and things that happen in addition to what you're studying. Exactly. Okay, so your first couple of years are on philosophy. Mm-hmm. So you do everything from Aristotle up through Nietzsche and everything in between. Yeah, I didn't okay. know you. So you got past that, mm-hmm. and then you get into the theology. Yes. So you've studied everything from Irenaeus up through not only Thomas Aquinas, but uh, up into modern stuff, too. Yeah. So Karl Rahner and Ratzinger, all of them yeah. are in your under your belt. I would say that we've read them and continuing to learn how to. Okay, know, that's well said. <laughs> integrate them. <laughs> I am not a master. Oh, but it is it is a lot of fun. Okay, so where are you now in that process? So theology, after two years of philosophy, is a four-year program. So I finished theology one, two. Right now I'm on pastoral year, which takes place outside of the seminary, at a parish to shadow priests and to learn the life of a parish priest. Okay. So I'm right there, and then I will return back to seminary this July and finish up the last two years of theology. After that, 
what happens? After that, God willing, I will be incorporated, ordained, and then placed at a parish. When do you become a transitional deacon? That would take place after Theology 3. So, God willing, I'll be ordained a little over a year from now. Okay, so if everything goes according to plan, mm-hmm. uh, and, and COVID doesn't restrike and the creek don't rise, <laughs> you will be ordained as a transitional deacon yeah. in about a year. Yes. And then... After that, it's one year? One year to the priesthood. And then you become a priest. Yes. And as a transitional deacon, if you decide, you you know what, I've suddenly had another light bulb go off <laughs> and I, I can't do this. Yeah. A transitional deacon is not a permanent deacon, right? A transitional deacon is not a permanent deacon. No. So there are, are they like temporary vows then or are they permanent vows? How does that work? Yeah. So... The vows that we take at diaconate are both the same for transitional and permanent deacons. It's um, prayer, chastity, and obedience. And the only difference is when you're ordained a transitional deacon, you would be ordained under the, of course, the assumption that you're you're on your way to become a priest. Permanent deacons, although all of them are not, most of them are married. Right. So the vow of chastity that they make is within their marriage. Right. Some people confuse this. Chastity doesn't mean necessarily no sexual union. Uh-huh. Chastity means that you are dedicated to the person you've married to, mm-hmm. and that includes the sexual union. Mm-hmm. So a permanent deacon is going to live the same way he did with his wife before. Yes. So hopefully infuse a little, a little more <laughs> acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Yeah. Does that mean that if you changed your mind after being a, a, a transitional deacon, you can never uh-huh. be married? Um, so there's a lot of nuances. So let's do permanent deacon first. If you're ordained a permanent deacon... Let's let's wait. Okay, okay. Because we're running yeah. to a point here where I can <laughs> sense that we need to talk this through just a little bit. Yeah. Because it's a really hard question. You are a young man. And it would be very interesting. I, I have to believe that somewhere out there, there have been the occasional seminarian who said, I finally decided I can't do it. It's like, so when we come back, I want to make sure we take that up. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Cole Busson, who is a fifth-year seminarian out of seven at St. John's Seminary on behalf of the Diocese of Orange. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be taking these vows. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is seminarian Cole Busson, who is in his fifth year at St. John Seminary, and he is from the Diocese of Orange, and he is on his way toward becoming a priest, God willing. And as we said before, in about a year, he the plan is for him to take his vows as a as a transitional deacon. And what we were discussing was what if what if we get to that point and, well, first of all, if we get to that point before yeah. you take those vows as a transitional deacon, <laughs> yeah. you kind of walk away sight unseen. It's You haven't taken any vows up till now. None. So you've you've signed papers saying this is my intent, but you've not signed, you've not vowed that you would keep any kind of chastity beyond what is just simply a moral man. As a moral man, you're going to be chaste, but you're not vowing to keep that yet. You will, in a year, take a vow uh, for a transitional deacon. If you take that vow as a transitional deacon, are you, is that a permanent vow? Or are those, do they have like an expiration date on them? Or I, I know, for example, for some women who go into a, a convent, their first vows are often temporary vows that they take. That's not what you're taking, is it? In terms of the diaconate? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. So very good things brought up and we'll break it down in terms of just like order wise. So in theology one at St. John seminary, we do what is called candidacy. So candidacy is where we write a formal letter to the bishop. So I wrote a formal letter to Bishop Van requesting to become a candidate for holy orders. Okay. So what that letter entails and what's written in it and in terms of the spiritual implications of it is basically saying, my name is Cole. I'm serious about becoming a priest, 
And I, I pray that you bless me and you give me the graces necessary to continue life as a seminarian discerning holy orders. So Bishop Van writes back to us and he says, I have accepted you. And we have a um, kind of like a little rite. Back in the old days, it was minor orders. This isn't officially um, a minor order anymore, um, but it has the implications that the life you're going to live is very similar to a man engaged to the church for when now we move on to diaconate. So, well, let me go back to what used to be called minor orders. So they, they have a little ceremony. Is it a, a title that goes with this? Yeah. Uh, what is it that it's called? What, do you remember? Yeah. So we have a like beautiful stained glass windows in the seminary that indicate to us the minor orders. So if I remember the correct order, uh, the first one is called tonsure. So okay. <laughs> back in the old I days. I kind of have a natural tonsure going here, but okay. I'll, yeah. be, I'll be right there with you in a, in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tonsure. So what you would do is when you become a seminarian, the bishop would cut you know, your hair, hair, you know, that way, if you're in public and people see that you're like, Oh, they associate you. Oh, you're tonsured. You're a seminarian now. Yeah. That's kind of like a saying, you know, indicating to the world, Hey, you know, I'm not going orders. It's like a student driver. Be careful around. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Stay away. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And that's followed by um, Porter, which they teach you responsibility. So the Porter's at the, the door. door. Yeah. yeah. Opening the door at five in the morning so we could pray, you know, okay. just teaching you responsibility. And then after that coming along, I believe is exorcist. Okay. So when we say that word, it's like, whoa, exorcist. Okay. You're not um, the diocesan exorcist. <laughs> you're not the diocesan exorcist. I, I've had a conversation <laughs> with one of those from, oh, really? from the Caribbean. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, stories that'll curl your, your toes. But anyway, yeah. imagine <laughs> it's, it's real. But anyway, it go ahead. Real, yeah. <laughs> so that exorcism in terms of the term, it's a prayer of simply deliverance. So uh, in the minor orders, you're taught you know, after your responsibilities, how to pray. Okay. And, and that includes intercessory prayer coming along. You have, um, acolyte, which is still something that we do at seminary where we, it's an acolyte, an acolyte. You could serve at the altar. Okay. And then that is followed by a subdeacon where you can actually assist the deacon and be more involved with the Eucharistic sacrifice. Kind of an assistant deacon. Assistant deacon. Okay. Yeah. Back in the old days, they would take vows for these many, many years ago, but yes. now they're just, they still use them as training mechanisms, though they're not necessarily. Yeah, the they're same not. Kind of vows. They're not officially vows that right. we have, you know, like yeah. that are incorporated. So when we say the word vow, we come to the permanent vow. Okay. So that takes place in both transitional diaconate and permanent diaconate. But you've been building. This is a great conversation. I've never had this conversation with any of the seminarians we've had on before. This has been very good. So you've been building toward that for quite a long time, Mm -hmm. including steps along the way. Yes. uh, In order to reach. So by the time you get to the vows for a transitional diaconate, you've already been involved in this lifestyle for the last four years. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So there probably aren't nearly so many people turning back because there isn't, you've been thinking this through for quite some time and dealing with what it's like to be for a reality. Yes. I would say every story is different. You know, I have had brother seminaries that have even left this year after being in formation together for so long. But it's just beautiful how the church through the seminary process has organized, you know, like this is how we take a layman and we're going to train him in spirituality, responsibility, human formation, spiritual, intellectual, so that when he becomes a clergyman, namely a deacon and God willing, a priest, he will have the responsibility in order to carry out his duty as well as the intellectual and spiritual formation and the human formation to be able to take care for of himself so that he could take care of the people of God. Let's back up for a moment. Going back to the first couple of years where you're dealing with philosophy, mm-hmm. there are no orders for that or it's is it different? It's just the first two years that are just purely academic and getting used to being at the seminary. Yes. Okay. So what did they put you through your first year or two? Was it... Every week you had meetings, every day you had meetings mm-hmm. beyond your normal classes. Yes. So we had so we had classes and on top of that we have a spiritual director. 
Usually we meet our spiritual director once a month. And outside of that, we have a formation advisor. So our formation advisor ensures that all the pillars of our formation, all the dimensions of formation are getting, you know, taken care of. And we're indeed on the track to becoming a candidate for holy orders in theology. Okay. So you really do have then a two-part system, really a three-part system, two years for this initial introduction to, to seminary, so to speak, and then th- these five years that uh, theology, including these minor orders and the chance to do an internship for a year, mm-hmm. shadowing for the priesthood that you're, you're doing next this next year? You're shadowing right now. Right now I'm on internship, you're, yeah, you're on pastoral internship. year, yeah, okay. that's it. And then going back to actually then be ordained as a transitional deacon in order to be finally prepared after your last year of theology yeah. to be ordained a priest. Yeah. And it really is a ratcheting up. So there is no real shock to this. You, you're, it's not like all of a sudden you come up to the big moment. It's all been a, a gradual escalation. Yes. Not a big moment. It's, yeah. it's like climbing slowly. Yes, I would say so. And I would like to make the clarification that once you enter seminary, the agreement would be, you would be responsible. You wouldn't be dating, you know, like all that kind of thing. And the minor orders were something before Vatican II. But in a way, after, we have still kept... Aspects know, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like elements of that. Right. You're, so. not, you're not actually using yeah. them as orders, mm-hmm. but you're taking what was beneficial from mm-hmm. the orders and letting that instruct your formation. Exactly. That's very good. Yep. So as you've been going through this time, have you hit any roadblocks along the way? Have you had moments where you thought, I don't know that I can do this? And in fact, God, thank you for not giving me a car right now because I'm out of here if you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have, you, have yeah. you had those moments? Yeah. So I would definitely like to also thank all of the people of God, including you, Rick, because your prayers really do make a difference in the life of a seminarian. On behalf of all of us, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of there are many moments in many seminarians' lives where we tackle that question day in and day out. And there are moments where it is very hard to continue. And there are moments where it's effortless to continue. And uh, we really do feel the grace and the love and support, and we could not do that alone. So I would say in, in my journey of these past five years out of seven years total, uh, there have been a handful of moments where I really ask myself, okay, God, like, you know me, you know my heart, you know I'm an imperfect man, I, am, um, I have many faults and this and that and that. I said, do you want me to continue? <laughs> And he tells me, Cole, I love you, and I created you for this. I want you to continue. It reminds me a little bit, because you're you're saying that you have had these moments where you've really asked the question. Mm -hmm. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 28, the last paragraph, where Jesus calls them all together, and they meet on the mountain, and he says that, um, and they all gather together, yet some doubted. And we kind of move, move on past that because the rest of it is all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And, yeah. But don't skip that. That's fascinating to me because the people that are gathered there, they saw him heal people. They saw him raise others from the dead. They saw him die and raise from the dead. And they doubted. Mm. Why should we be shocked when we do? <laughs> I mean, and then here you are going through seminary thinking about contemplating and actively engaging in the process of turning the entire rest of your life over, which as a young man could be, God forbid, you know, short odds are this could be another 75 years that you will be (laughs) alive and the last 20 crippled over. But nevertheless, as a priest, this is something that you've obviously not only taken very seriously, but it is something you struggled with. And you're in the process of mastering. Is that a fair way of putting it? I would say that's a fair way of putting it. Yeah. You're listening to Orange (laughs) County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Kobusan, and we are talking about his call to be a priest. He is five out of seven years in, and he has been so open that we're going to torment him just a little bit more. I want to ask what advice he would give to a young man 
thinking about becoming a priest. Think about that, Cole, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Cole Busan, who is a fifth-year seminarian, two years to go. And before we go any further, I want to pause for a moment and say thank you so very much for coming in here and not only being willing to spend some time with us, but to be so open about what your walk has been, what your journey has been to go through seminary. We've had a fantastic conversation about how this has moved forward. When we left it, I asked you a question. I think it kind of made you think for just a moment. <laughs> Have you had times or instances, kind of like late at night, where you're really thinking, "Do I, am I really going to stay and come to a moment where I'm not entirely sure? Have you had any of those kinds of times hit you? And if so, what was that like for you? Yes, I have definitely had a few of those times hit me. And it hits on so many layers in the sense that here you are, a young man wanting to give your life to God. And the purpose, one of the purposes of formation is to expose your weaknesses and to expose your faults, but not leave you in that. You are exposed to those so that they can become your strengths. Yeah, but that's got to be a dangerous process. It's a very, (laughs) it is, it is a painful process. But it is a very necessary process because, you know, we need, we need priests and we need ultimately leaders in the church who are aware of where they're at and are consciously and consistently working on improving themselves, taking the log out of their own eye so that they could take the speck out of someone else's. And that's a lifelong process and it requires humility. It requires honesty and requires an open and willing heart to allow, you know, the, the priests are called el cura in the, in the Spanish language to allow God, the father to cure us and to heal us. What was it like for you? I don't, I don't want to pry so mm-hmm. much as yeah. I'm kind of interested in, in how you dealt with that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something from St. John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul type yeah. of thing. Do you reach that in seminary or is that something that you get kind of told about and look toward? Yeah. But you kind of hope it never really hits. Yeah. So this is like total Holy Spirit because I'm reading Dark Knight of the Soul right now. Okay. <laughs> and I'm sure you read it uh, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the Dark Knight, especially in the opening chapters, basically tells you how rather than going through purgatory after we die, we go through it on earth. And what we're purified by on earth is by God's love. And the purity of God's love is so immense and so powerful that it is not comfortable. But this is, in a way, I believe, the the better option than just being purged by fire, you know, our soldiering fire, like that. Um, but in terms of, yeah, Dark Knight of the Soul and going through something intense as that, I would say that I haven't gone through that to the extent, nowhere near the extent of that. But I have gone through forms of that in seminary. So real intense questioning and relying on, on God guide me through this answer because I just don't have it. I don't have the clear vision of it. I have to rely on you, God, because yeah. oh yeah, 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 because yeah. <laughs> I don't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's got to be hard. But nevertheless, you're still here, and in fact, you're you're finishing up your your uh, internship year where you're shadowing a pastor. You go back, and you're going to go through more of the 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 training, and then you're going to go through your first ordination, and then, God willing, in the second year, your final ordination. Are there things that you're worried about? Because you don't strike me as someone who's particularly worried about really anything right now. I'm not worried about anything, to be honest with you. The reason is two things. Number one, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. So any doubt or worry that I have is either uh, my own insecurity that I know uh, with the grace of God he can help me overcome. And number two, it would be a lie from the devil. And 
thanks be to God, we have tools to rebuke that. Number one, we have a great prayer, the St. Michael prayer, as well as our father. And uh, number two, in terms of overcoming insecurities, doubts, worries, fears, we have uh, spiritual directors. We have the word of God. But most importantly, we have the rosary and the Eucharist. And as long as those are there, we'll be okay. If you had someone come to you who was, say, 20 years old and doing well in college, but thinking about the possibility of becoming a priest, what would you tell them? Very good question. So one line comes to mind. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. All right. How does that live out? Because John Paul spent a whole book on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're like, where do we, <laughs> that's abstract. <laughs> but well. so you've got a, you've got a young man. What advice do you give him? If you're going to have, you're going to have a cup of coffee with him. Yeah. And he says, Hey, Cole, I've got this nagging urge to go beyond what I learned in a confirmation class. What do I do? Being scared and being afraid is a good thing. You just told me not to be afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I'll show you. (laughs) What did Jesus experience in the garden right before he was about to suffer and die? He was. (laughs) So there's this scientific phenomenon. I don't know the name for it, but you can sweat blood because you are stressed out so much. So that or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So that wasn't just like, you know, they tossed that in the story to spice it up. No, Jesus was actually sweating blood because he was really stressed out. But when it comes to things that are worth doing in life and things that are honorable and things that are ultimately God's will for us, if we're scared and if we're afraid and if we're worried, that is an indicator that we are about to do something great, whether it be you know, dying for our sins and rising again and destroying death, or it be becoming a priest so that God can save souls through you. All this fear, all this anxiety, all this worry and doubt is a good indicator. And that's a sign that you're doing the right thing. So this man with his cup of coffee uh, is going to be told, don't be afraid, but be afraid. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, a mixture of those two. Yeah, yes. I think there's a stage where the fear happens, right? And so we will go through that. And once we go through that, we push it to the side and let go. And we are no longer afraid. So kind of, yeah, kind of like um, some people who do a lot of exercise, they'll reach a point where they have to break through their and once they have this breakthrough, it's like they have an extra burst of energy, extra, and they're able to move through. That almost sounds like what you're describing is a spiritual breakthrough. That the fear that you have will go away when, when you trust in the God who is guiding you. Yes. Cause as, as humans, fear will happen to us. Yeah. It's just part of our nature. And in those moments, just to remember, this is a good thing. This is a good indicator that what is about to happen, what's about to go down. And then after we, when we're in that, we remember that, be not afraid. And then we let go of that fear and then we keep going forward. I'm interested because you didn't, your first response was not to pray. It was to not be afraid. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if. The prayer is the, is assumed. <laughs> you're I would obviously, say so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I would say you're obviously you in to pray. prayer, but it's interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're you're talking about being in the presence of God, which is why you can be afraid, but there's nothing to really be afraid. There's an awesomeness to God, and so we should always quote fear God unquote, but it's not a servile fear; it's a, an awesome fear. There is a presence, and it's way beyond us. So why would you be afraid? God is in charge. Yeah, I would say that. Everything that you see in yourself, all your failures, all your shortcomings, everything that you think is holding you back, you are able to give that to God. And you are able to take ownership of it and not run away from it. And because of this, in your humility and in your docility to the Lord, giving these to him and letting him take them off of you, is what will free you and ultimately 
what will um, give you the most peace in terms of discerning God's will for you. Cole, thank you so very, very much for coming in and sharing with us. Would you be kind enough to lead us all in a word of prayer of thanksgiving and of discernment? Of course. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. God, we thank you again for this day and for the fact that you you don't call the equipped, but you equipped the called. We thank you for the fact that you're still good and you still offer us yourself and your son in the, in the Eucharist every single day. We pray especially for peace in our lives and peace in this world and for you to give us the courage to continue to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been Cole Busan, who is a seminarian for the Diocese of Orange in his fifth year at St. John's Seminary. And he has been sharing with us what it has been for him to go through this journey and to continue going through this journey toward priesthood. If you would like to find out more information, Cole, I understand you have a podcast that you do from time to time. Where could people find that podcast? So people can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It would just be Seminarian, Seminarian. first word, and then Cole, C-O-L-E. Very good. And if you would like to share this broadcast as a podcast, you can go to Orange County Catholic Radio, which is at OCCatholic.com. Under the radio tab at OCCatholic.com, you'll find about eight or so different shows that we produce, and the flagship show, OC Catholic, is right there, and you'll be able to share this with anybody who's perhaps thinking about becoming a seminarian, perhaps thinking about their call to the priesthood. This is a great show for that. On behalf of all of us here at Orange County Catholic Radio, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you, Cole, for coming in, and may God richly bless us all in all ways. We'll see you again next week.